This episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast is presented by Sling. Coming up this week, watch the Euro 2024 qualifiers over the next 10 days on Sling, including Malta against England on Friday, Norway against Scotland on Saturday, France against Greece on Monday, and then Iceland versus Portugal on Tuesday. All of them available through Sling. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast. My name is Christopher Harris. I'm joined by uh, co-host Kartik Krishnair. In today's episode, we discuss how Serie A can capitalize on a banner year to improve its TV profile in the U.S., So CBS Sports are coming off their best weekend ever with the Champions League final coverage, creating quite a stir across world media. At the same time, the news of Kay Abdo renewing her contract for four more years has been well received by soccer fans throughout the US. So it's important to note that this 2023-2024 upcoming season will be the final one under uh, under CBS's current three-year deal with Serie A. Uh, The bidding for the domestic rights in Italy are expected to conclude later this month. And then after that, Serie A's focus will turn to the international rights deals. So we can expect to hear something uh, probably in the next uh, few months, probably, whether or not CBS Sports has been able to renew the rights for uh, 24-25 season uh, onwards. So Kartik, I've got two questions for you. How does Serie A capitalize on the success that they've had this season? And how can CBS Sports build off that to help Serie A increase the popularity of the league in on, on U.S. television uh, moving, moving forward? This is another example. I know you and I debated it with MLS. Um, you said better quality leads to better television numbers, more viewership. Uh, Serie A, arguably best league in the world right now. Uh, at least for this past season. Uh, Clearly, Serie A was down in a period. I mean, I remember uh, our former uh, host of this podcast, Richard Farley, who uh, has been a critic of Italian football, uh, arguing with me when I was a big proponent of Serie A. And in fact, looking back at that point, he was correct. He he said it's the fifth best league, even the French league's better. Looking back at that point when I had that argument with him, which was about 10 years ago or so, uh, nine, ten years ago, I think he was right. But now, this year, there were s- seven, maybe eight. eight uh, let's include Fiorentina under Italiano, uh, who was just a masterful job uh, setting that team up this season. They got to a European final and to the Coppa Italia final. Eight really good teams in Serie A this year, uh, in my opinion. Whereas the Premier League had, I don't know, uh, four good teams. Uh, La Liga had three good teams. Uh, the Bundesliga had three good teams. In fact, I, I think at the end of the year, Bundesliga best team was probably uh, uh, Leipzig, but they, they started poorly under uh, under Tedesco. And then uh, the French League had two or three good teams. So I think there were more good teams in Serie A this year, more good teams at the top. You could argue maybe uh, if you're going 1-18 to 18 or 1-20, to 20, uh, uh, Spain was better, maybe Germany was better. I don't think England was better. England was pretty weak at the bottom. But... Um, they have not been able to translate this into um, into uh, popularity on television. And I'll tell you why, Chris. Italian stadiums are old. They look terrible on television. The supporters um, are there for some matches. They're not there for others. The atmospheres aren't as good as England or Germany or many of the venues in Spain, like Valencia is wonderful. Uh, it, 
Sociedad, uh, Bilbao, Gijón. There, there are good venues in Spain. There are also bad ones. But Italy, by and large, uh, has cumbersome stadiums with tracks around them, decaying infrastructure, and fewer people in the stands uh, than they did in their heyday 25 years ago. So I think it's an issue of the ambiance, the atmosphere, the presentation, not presenting well on television. And that is something we have also talked about in, in our conversations about Major League Soccer. And I think that's something Serie A just has a horribly tough time going, getting over, even though they, as you rightly said, they had teams in every European final. They had uh, additional teams that got made the semifinals and lost. And then they had, in my opinion, the best team in Europe, in Napoli, who didn't even reach one of those semifinals or finals. So, I mean, we're talking about eight good teams. It's it's amazing, really, when you think about it, how much atmosphere does make a difference, right? It's one of those things that you would think that, okay, you look at the top leagues from around the world, uh, atmosphere for, uh, in, in the stadiums shouldn't really come into it. You would think that you mean, most, most leagues are very similar. The reality is, as you've said, Kartik, it, it's very different, right? And, and I, would, I would say, too, a lot of the, the newer MLS stadiums, so you look at Austin, you look at uh, Sporting Kansas City, not not that new, but still, uh, LAFC is a new one. You look at those stadiums and see how close the fans are up to the, the pitch. And, I mean, it does create an electric atmosphere. And I, I agree with you. I mean, in uh, Serie A, You've got Juventus, you've got uh, San, the San Siro for both uh, Milan teams, um, and there's probably a few other stadiums. But for the, for the most part, that atmosphere, that electric at- atmosphere is not quite the same. Um, there is that distance. And, and you saw that too, even during some of these European finals. Um, even even the final in, in Turkey, uh, in, in Istanbul for the Champions League, with that athletics track around the edge of the pitch and how far the fans are from the actual field itself, uh, it does uh, it does damage the the atmosphere. It doesn't make it, it doesn't pull you into those games. Now, but with Serie A, Kartik, I I know that you're definitely big in, on big on Serie A from what they've accomplished. But unfortunately, you mean they lost in the Champions League final. You mean Inter Milan. Roma lost in the uh, Europa f- uh, final, Ro- Europa League final, and then Fiorentina lost in the um, UEFA Europa League uh, conference final. I would say, though, Kartik, from watching that Champions League match, I thought Inter was the better team. Inter had more chances to win that game. There was that uh, last-minute save. I mean, th- th- there's probably like three or four clear-cut chances uh, where City were able to clear the ball off the line. Uh I thought that Inter should have won that game, actually. What, what do you think? Yeah, and I, I was appalled by uh, people in the British press and actually a lot of people in the continental press, Spanish press also, I, I noticed uh, during the course of the week, just claiming this was a coronation. I wrote a piece Friday night, which was actually in reaction to everything I had seen during the week saying, hey, you know, Inter can win this match. And here are three reasons why, uh, which were tactical reasons. And based on what I had seen from both clubs, obviously I'm a City supporter, so I watched them. As a lot other city supporters say I'm hypercritical of City. Okay, maybe that factors in. I, I'll concede that. But I've watched a lot of Inter, who were not the best team in Serie A this season. But um, Inzaghi has a way of uh, using his entire team, right, 16 guys, or the entire eligible team that he can use, right, uh, uh, as many guys as he can use, and making changes in matches and coming up with kind of different tactics, even if they're in the same formation. And also there were teams that play like – 
uh, Inter. The team that plays most like Inter in the Premier League is actually Brentford. And Brentford had a lot of, has, had, has played pretty well against Manchester City the last two seasons since they've come up uh, into the Premier League. So I, I had cited that. Uh, and then people were laughing at me. And even when I tweeted before the match, hey, you know, now that I'm seeing the, the team sheets, I think Inter can win. People were coming back at me like, oh, you're crazy. And there were largely people who were just listening to the British press. So I thought there was a lot of disrespect of Inter coming into this match. I thought they were the better team in the match. Although, look, um, I will say Pep, who I criticize for, for, for being a guy that sticks with his team for too long, right? He'll be in a nil-nil match or down one-nil, and he won't make any changes uh, to the tactics. This time, even though he didn't make a substitution, he did make a very clear change at halftime, going from what was a diamond midfield, that which wasn't working where uh, the three-man inter midfield was having all kinds of space because De Bruyne and then Foden when Foden came in and and um, and uh, Stones who was at the on the right side of that diamond were being pushed further wide uh, and uh, there was no ability for Rodri to con- connect with Gundogan right so everybody was isolated everybody was on an island uh, and uh Inter was having a lot of joy in the midfield. He made a change. He made a tactical change, pushed John Stones further further uh, up and uh, into midfield, like proper midfield, like a number eight, to where Stones was then able to really influence the match, connect with Bernardo, who was playing on the right, and that kind of brought City back into the game. So I do give Pep credit for that. But I do think, by and large, Inter were the better team with the better tactical plan, uh, with the better... Uh, 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 really kind of the, 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 the better sense of, of, of the occasion, really. Maybe City were too nervous. Um, but in terms of the other two finals, I, I do think uh, uh, Sevilla, they just generally don't lose in finals. Um, and uh, Fiorentina were, were a little unlucky. I think that was a very even match. But, but, uh, but Paqueta, at the end of that match... Uh, Want, wanted for West Ham, right? Just a, a moment of brilliance that, that uh, only those special playmakers uh, can, can pull off, right? There's a very short list of guys in the world who can pull off what Baqueta did to, to release Bowen. And that's just something I think Fiorentina couldn't do anything about. But uh, yeah, your, your point is well taken. They did lose all three finals. And, and you would think law of averages, they would have won one of them. Man of the match for the UEFA Champions League final was, to me, was Edison. And that tells you a lot right there, right, in terms of how this match played out. If it wasn't for him, I mean, Inter could have easily equalized or maybe even won it late 2-1. But, yeah, so, Kartik, going back to a question before, too. I mean, so, like, what can Serie A do to capitalize on the, I mean, kind of the growth and kind of improvement in how well that the teams are doing? Uh, Fiorentina, you mentioned a couple of minutes ago, uh, I know that they're looking at getting a new stadium, but then they're fighting with the city to try to get that to get. I mean, it's not easy, right? It's something that could take years. And even across all of Serie A, if you look at all the stadiums, uh, they need investment. But even if that investment is there, it could take five years, 10 years We've seen in Miami with the Major League Soccer Stadium there how long it takes to get these stadiums approved and built and all that stuff. So that's not going to change overnight. So so what can Serie A and or CBS do to really elevate the league to the next level, do you think? It's tough because I think one of the things that 
unfortunately, is true in Italy. And, and we had this face in the United States, too, right, in the 1970s and the early 1980s when we were not building purpose-built stadiums for a specific sport. We were building multi-purpose stadiums, like the, the most infamous one is, the, is Veterans Stadium in, uh, in Philadelphia where the Eagles and the Phillies played, and it was a, 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 an embarrassment. But stadiums like Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati, Three Rivers Stadium in Pittsburgh, we could go on and on, that were shared football, baseball stadiums, and then if there was a soccer team, they would push, shove the soccer team into that stadium as well. Um, and then we got away from that and got to uh, soccer-specific stadiums and baseball parks once again, starting with Camden Yards in 92, um, and then soccer-specific stadiums starting with Crew Stadium in, uh, in 99. Uh, Italy still has this thing where they build these stadiums w- w- with, which are, with athletic tracks. The municipal government gets involved. Uh, they don't want something that can't be used for multiple purposes or used for all sporting and concert purposes. This is why um, they have their stadium problem. Juventus was able to, 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 to uh, under Agnelli, who's now obviously been suspended from uh, football for, for, from Italian football for a few years, um, able to, to pull off building a new ground, which I think gives Juventus long-term a competitive advantage in Italian football um, in spite of everything else going on with the club and, and uh, regulation and legal stuff. Honestly, Chris, I don't know because I don't know that Serie A can get much better in terms of quality of play versus the other leagues in Europe than it was this year. Again, I think they had more good teams than any other league in Europe. And I will also say, just as a tactical geek, I know this doesn't matter to most fans, but it it matters to some hardcore football fans. I saw more tactical innovation in Italy the last two seasons than I've seen in any other league. The other league that's up there is obviously England. Uh, Germany, everybody's almost everybody's playing the same way. Spain, you're seeing kind of a regression of tactics. I, I want to say uh la liga fans don't don't get mad at me for that but i am seeing you know things that are that are that are almost like retrenching uh but italy we've seen we, we mentioned fiorentina and italiano we mentioned uh uh, uh, uh gasparini at atalanta and de Serbi, who's now come to the premier league right but was previously at susuolo they they have created innovative tactics for this pressing era this high pressing era that might i think in the next three to five years changed the game and changed the way some, some teams play. Uh, Brighton and Fiorentina are two teams to watch right now if you want to get a sense of where football, where I think football's going. So uh, that's all very interesting. Serie A has all of that going for it. But as long as they have stadiums that are like they are, as long as you have a situation where there were younger people in Italy and Agnelli, Juventus is, I guess now ex-German, has pointed this out. Young people in Italy don't want to go to football matches. They don't really like football. There's been violence associated with the matches or the stadiums are dumpy or there's just other issues as to why they don't want to go, the, ambi- the lack of ambiance, etc. Until that changes, I don't know how Serie A becomes a better television product. Now... How can CBS promote it better? Maybe CBS can do more. They've done a lot already, but they can do even more on the culture of Serie A, the culture of certain regions within Italy, the connection of these clubs to their communities, and not talk about Juventus and AC Milan and Inter and and, uh, 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 Roma and Lazio, but talk about... um, some of the smaller clubs that are in the first division, that are in Serie A, and uh, give 
a real accounting to the American public about the culture around those clubs. And of course, you also have Napoli, which I think everybody thinks is really cool, is a really cool club. I mean, one of the things that struck me, mentioned the English press earlier, criticized them for uh, their build-up to this match. But one thing I will praise them for is, I saw more coverage of Serie A this year in England because Napoli won the title. And a lot of people in the English media loving the romanticism of Napoli coming and beating the teams from the north and understanding what that meant and understanding how improbable that was and how cool that was. And even uh, some English journalists and English YouTubers that cover the Premier League mostly you know, flying off to Naples. For, uh, to do to do a video or do a story because they wanted to capture that moment. So I think Napoli winning the title helps, um, but CBS has to build on that also and discuss the culture and under, and explain why Napoli winning is such a big deal. Uh, although then you get into sort of this north south divide in Italy, but I think you need to explain it and you need to connect American uh, soccer fans to it. I, I agree. But to be honest with you, Kartik, I think CBS is already doing a lot of this stuff. So they, they've done a lot of the, um, I mean, they can always do more, right? They've done a lot of the features where they've had, they've gone out to um, Aaron West, went out to Naples. They did a documentary, basically kind of uh, footage behind the scenes. Um, they had the crew, they sent the crew out to Mike Grella and the rest of the crew out to Napoli. Uh, into, and, and they've probably said, they've, they've done more than ESPN has done prior which was espn was the previous rights holder and before that was being sports and so i think they've gotten to a point where with cbs sports they have a a major broadcaster that's invested in soccer and i think the most important thing that they should do really is is stay with the, with cbs sports because those rights are coming up for bid there's there's a chance that someone could come in could be an apple right could be a espn might say hey we want it back or Somebody else might come come in and say, "Hey, we want we want those rights. We will offer more money than CBS Sports." But I think Serie A has to be really smart about this because even if someone bids more more, more money, doesn't mean you have to go ahead and sell the rights to that company. We saw that with NBC Sports recently in the, the last deal, uh, where NBC Sports got the, the rights to the Premier League and renewed it for another what six years or so. Um, is that they didn't offer the most amount of money. You had other broadcasters, uh, such as a combination. Actually, it was a joint deal between CBS and ESPN to try to get the Premier League rights. And ultimately, the Premier League decided to go with uh, to to renew with NBC Sports. Now there was a lot of back and forth, but eventually they went through through NBC Sports. So I think they can do more. CBS Sports can do more. Um, part of it. I think they face some of the, some, the same struggles that La Liga does on ESPN. You look at the amount of coverage that uh, ESPN does for La Liga. So you've got people, I mean, Ian Dark, Steve McManaman, uh, two of the biggest names in English language, um, broadcasting for commentators and co-commentators. You've got people doing, um, I mean, documentaries, the whole the bicycle series. You've got people, pitch side reporters. Uh, you've got you've put, put so much investment to try to go ahead and grow that audience, uh, and there's no guarantee it's going to pay off. And at the same time, with Serie A, they've done so much CBS Sports. Maybe they can do more. Maybe they can bring in a couple more of the heavyweights into the studio from time to time. I think they've done it in the past a little bit with uh, Christian Vieri, but even then, there's no guarantee. So much, so much of it really comes down to what's on the pitch. 
And yes, Serie A has some really good teams. Some, I mean, Napoli, as an example, AS Roma <laughs> went far, but uh, it was ugly at times. But but they know how to play, right? They know even with Inter. I mean, they know how to play. They know how to win games. Uh, and it's it's tough to beat the Italian teams. But, but, but I, I will say, uh, just so for those who don't watch Serie A regularly, do not judge Serie A by, by Roma, okay? And, and this is the same thing I would say when Jose was in the Premier League and people on the continent thought, oh, that's the way English teams play, which there were a lot of snickers from people on the continent saying, oh, uh, English clubs love to park the bus and get physical. Don't judge Serie A by Roma. I, it was awful. I Ultimately, I will say I'm very pleased Sevilla won that final. I shouldn't be partisan, but it was like I didn't want Mourinho being rewarded uh, or Roma being rewarded for that sort of uh, 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 cynicism uh, and, and, and winning a, a trophy that way. But uh, Inter, Fiorentina, uh, uh, Napoli, Atalanta, they play great, great football. Uh, and, uh, and actually, even this year under Allegri, surprisingly, Juventus were a little better to watch than they've been in, pa- in the past when Allegri's been the manager. They're not, they're not as fun to watch as they were the year under Pirlo or uh, the year under Sarri, but they're still, you know, they're still watchable. So I, I do think Serie A, uh, they're, those teams are tough to beat, but they're also much more open than uh, people give them credit for. This is not Catanaccio anymore, uh, except for Roma. Um, this is a, a different era. Yeah, I think uh, what CBS Sports need is is a bit of uh, Alessandro, Alessandro uh, Del Piero magic, uh, maybe Gab Marcotti. Bring in some some of these people. Try to get them away from ESPN. Bring them into uh, CBS Sports and make them part of maybe maybe a regular feature or something. Just to try to grow Serie A. Um, and and again too, the, the signings are key, right? I, I mean, I mean Serie A. Uh, at this point in time, a lot of the kind of the players coming through the systems. So whether it's Napoli or, or, or other teams, uh, a lot of these guys will probably end up being bought by Premier League teams too. Um, so not that it's a feeder league, but um, there's definitely a, a whole host of talent there. It's going to be a challenge, and I think Serie A has to make the right decision. And uh, another reason to stay with CBS Sports is because they have the magic formula. They've got. Uh, games that they can broadcast on television. So whether it's um, CBS or CBS Sports Network, they've got a strong uh, streaming platform with uh, Paramount Plus. And also they've got the Golasa Network now too, where they can promote uh, games uh, across their um, free ad-supported soccer soccer channel, basically. So it has all the different pieces. Actually, the only piece it doesn't really have is the, is the Spanish language side. And for Serie A, I don't think that's as much of an issue, I, but uh, I, it, it, it's the, almost the complete package. I forgot one other thing. They need to put some games on CBS over there, like they've done with NWSL, like they do with Champions League, right? They're going, uh, they're, they're knocking it out of the park with Champions League and some of the numbers we're seeing over the air. They need to, I mean, in fact, uh, ESPN did put a match or two on uh, ABC when they had the Serie A rights. So they need to put... A, a few matches on on uh, CBS over the air this next season, their third the third season in, and final season in this rights deal, and 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 roll the dice, see what happens. Wasn't it they put it on ABC though? Uh, ESPN put them on ABC after they lost the deal. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I think that was a, 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 a you know we'll show you to Serie A. This is what we are capable of, right? right. Yeah, that was what that but, was. But- but your point still stands, Kartik, is that they haven't done that. Um, they have the ability to do it. 
Um, I think in some ways, I think they're trying to grow Serie A to, to get it to be more popular so that by putting it on CBS, it, it'll, it'll do well. Um, but then again, NWSL, right? I mean, they're growing that, trying to grow that, help grow that to to make that bigger too. So um, yeah, we, we'll have to wait and see in the next uh, few months exactly what happens with Serie A and CBS's coverage. Hopefully it continues. So Kartik, let's move on to the uh, listener mailbag. So next up is Wes. Wes says, uh, I had a pause during listening to the most recent episode of the podcast about Messi uh, to say, excellent. I've heard, um, I've already heard several good points I've yet to hear discussed anywhere else, uh, especially Kartik's point that the Messi and Beckham to MLS deals are quite different from each other. I think I used to be one of those USMNT uh, equals uh, club people. Uh, my bad. Michael says, you are overhyping Messi's arrival more than most, actually. When Beckham arrived, it enabled many in the US to see him play on TV outside of national team tournaments. Uh, few in the US could watch the Premier League or La Liga on TV in 2007. Every soccer fan has watched Messi play repeatedly for Barcelona and PSG. It's nothing new to see him play club soccer like it was for Beckham. It will help into Miami home and away ticket sales, but not much else. If people could buy into Miami season uh, pass, I guess, I guess the streaming service, uh, that can make a dent. 100,000 plus are not going to pay for the full MLS season pass, especially with Spanish coverage largely ignored. His lack of English is a huge uh, hit in terms of promotion opportunities. No one uh, likes listening to interpreters. If anyone receives a windfall from Messi signing, it will be Messi, not Major League Soccer. I hope Messi enjoys flying coach. <laughs> so Michael with some strong uh, comments there. Um you mean so Apple's not going to offer Inter Miami season pass only, so and and you pay less just to see the Inter Miami games, and that's it. I, I mean, if they had thought about that in the past, it would have been before Messi signed. Now, no way, right? Now it's going to be all in. If you want to watch Messi and everything, everything else MLS, sign up for MLS season pass. That's the only way to watch every single game featuring Messi. Um, some of those other comments, uh, Kartik, do you want to chime in on any of these? I uh, kind of agree. You know, that's a good point I hadn't thought of. When Beckham signed, we had very little exposure to European club football. Now, I had Goal TV and I had Fox Soccer Channel, but a lot of people didn't. And I will admit, even at that point, I hadn't watched a whole lot of Beckham regularly outside of Champions League. Outside of the Champions League games that were on ESPN and ESPN2, uh, I had watched a, a little bit of him at Real Madrid at goal, on Goal TV. I had watched, uh, I mean, I guess I had watched a fair amount of Manchester United in the, uh, in the late 90s uh, on, uh, on uh, um, Fox Sports or Fox, whatever it was called then, Sports World. But that, that is actually a really good point that I, I have to wrap my head around because it is true, Chris. We have seen Messi in our living rooms on mainstream television in mainstream kind of uh, circles for 15 years now. When Beckham 
came to the U.S., soccer was just kind of becoming a mainstream sport. I think uh, as badly as the World Cup in 2006 went for the U.S., that was kind of a tipping point in getting some of the mainstream journalists, even the, the Bill Simmonses and the Colin Cowherds and people like that, nominally interested in soccer. And then you had um, the, the Premier League and La Liga shifting to ESPN in 2009. You had Fox beginning to put games on Big Fox in 2010, uh, Premier League matches. So, uh, yeah, actually, that's... Yeah, Chris, what are your thoughts on that? Because I, I think that's actually a good point I hadn't considered. I, I guess it depends, like, uh, what world you lived lived in. Cause, because for, for me, it seemed... Which is one of the reasons I started World Soccer Talk in the beginning was uh, in 2005, it would have been after the UEFA Champions League final, and it would have been before Beckham signed uh, in MLS. But I remember the Champions League final, just watching it by myself at home on a Wednesday night and watching it on tape delay because I was working uh, a day job, came home that night, watched it. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is incredible. Like, where do I go to talk about this game? Like, I've never been a big soccer fan uh, at all over the years, the message boards. Um, So I was like, but there must be a website out there where it has a ton of great information about schedules, where to find the games. Uh, to talk about the games themselves. And, and it really didn't exist. The only thing at that time was um, ESPN Soccernet, or actually Soccernet, which was owned by the Daily Mail, uh, and then ESPN bought them out. But most of the coverage online on the internet in, 19, uh, in 2005 was mostly in the UK. Most of it was uh, from, from England. So that was one of the reasons I started up. So for me, in my world, like I, I mean, any game that's on television, I watched. So I was watching, yeah, like you, Kartik, I had the Fox Soccer Channel or Fox Sports World, whatever it was, Fox Soccer Channel at the time, uh, ESPN2. I think that's what where, where it changed, right? When, when ESPN went ahead, when, when Fox sub-licensed the Premier League rights to ESPN, and then ESPN had Saturday morning games, and it was the 7.30 kickoff, and they had uh, Ian Dark and Steve McManaman. And then sometimes they'd have an, an, another game, maybe on a Monday. But, but, but similarly, but it, for, for, for the specific point of Messi, Chris, uh, we saw a fair amount of Barcelona on ESPN2 and ESPNU and stuff like that in that first season, too, when they sub-licensed some games from Gold TV. Now, they never got El Clasico, in fairness, but there were more games than I think people remember that they just threw on at random times, but that were on mainstream channels, and you would see Messi. Yeah, so I, I, so I agree that uh, Messi has been on television so much in the last eight, 10 years where we've watched almost every kick, every high, every low. Um, and, and that is different than what it was um, when Beckham first came in uh, to the league and, and how much coverage we had at that time. But I think in terms of Messi, I mean, so Michael saying that it's going to help into Miami uh, sell tickets home and away, but not much much else. I think that's wrong. I think it's going to, yes, it's going to explode in terms of ticket sales. We've already seen that. But merchandise, you mean in terms of uh, messy shirts, messy paraphernalia. Um, and then beyond that, too, in terms of having more of U.S. media talking about the games, more fans watching the games, more people uh, interested in coming to the league to to watch the games and see what all the fuss is about and growing it from there. But, um, I mean, I think it's going to be huge. But a lot of it depends on how well MLS handles the whole situation in terms of you know 
making sure it's not a circus, making sure it is something that, uh, you mean, making sure we know when he's going to actually uh, start playing and ha- expectations wise, are we going to be able to see him play week in, week out? Um, or is he going to not play on artificial turfs or, or th- things like that? You mean, hopefully we'll get some clear idea of, you mean, past the hype is, is what this actually means. And, and, and how is he going to gonna play this year? Is he going to play this summer? Is he going to play in League's Cup? Right, those types of things. But yeah, no, I think it's um, on the TV side of it, I think everyone's going to be, even if you hate Messi, probably wanting to watch to see him lose. Or, or if, if you hate Inter Miami, you want to see them lose because they got Messi. Um, and then ov- obviously a lot of people watching the games to see if they win. And I think the other part of it too is that even in the stadiums where Messi goes to play with Inter Miami, so it's into Miami, say against uh, New England or against LAFC. Is the crowd's going to be actually? Um, you're going to have people showing up to support Messi. I mean, they're going to be cheering, even if they're from LA, and they might be LAFC fans. You'll see probably a lot of them, or maybe not LAFC, but some of the other teams cheering for Messi. So um, I think it's going to be huge, and, and it's going to, I think, um, from there explodes beyond that, beyond beyond the MLS circle, and you'll ha- start having a lot of uh, media from overseas actually paying attention to this too. But uh, good points about the uh, the TV, because that, that is something, Michael, that uh, I don't think Kartik or I really thought of uh, until now in terms of uh, that part of it, which is very, very true. Greg says, Kartik, this is to you. Good Lord. No, 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 no to Lalas. He's a yelling clown who phones it in when it comes to analysis I do not get the love for him from Kartik. And this is in regards to last week's episode where we were talking about does MLS 360 need to kind of uh, bring in some of the big guns to really kind of have that big media presence, uh, that gravitas, uh, either in the booth or in the studio. Um, And Kartik, I know you mentioned Lalas. Do you want to defend him for a second? Yeah, I think he actually, I, I think that that's uh, a, a actually fairly good analysis, Greg, of uh, of much of the rest of the people who work at Fox. I'm not going to dispute that. I think Lawless actually does prepare for broadcasts. He does actually bring co- cognizant points in, in between all of the kind of colorful stuff that he does, which I admit he does. I do think he actually prepares for matches. He gives more actual analysis, especially kind of when you're talking about defensive tactics and defensive structure. He knows more about that as a former central defender than the other people on uh, the Fox set. Now, is it possible if you took Lawless and you threw him on the CBS set or the ESPN set, he wouldn't look as good? He wouldn't stand out uh, quite as much for me uh, as uh, he does now? That's possible because everybody's well prepared there. Everybody's doing uh, their job and giving analysis at those other networks. But on Fox, I do think he's a standout out because I just uh, I just feel like uh, he does prepare. He does make some good points. He is uh, willing to say controversial things that we have other broadcasters who aren't willing to say that, right? They, 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 they don't want to offend people. They don't want uh, to, to provoke conversations. And then also, um, as I said, I think there are a lot of other people on Fox that don't do a very good job of analyzing things. So he stands out even more. And I think that's going to happen this summer at the Women's World Cup, by the way. I think well, I saw the roster of talent. Uh, I'm not particularly impressed by it. Uh, I, I think Lawless will really stand out in that studio. He'll be, he'll be the guy that's, that's saying things uh, and, and, and making, uh, the sort of, uh, giving the sort of analytical points the others probably aren't. 
See, I, I completely disagree on that. Just based on watching him during the, the Men's World Cup, where he really didn't say anything. It, it was nothing really of substance. Um, you mean, basically, no redeeming qualities. I would watch you mean, a week of uh, Fox's coverage for work uh, to analyze it and then watch one night of ESPN FC and get more uh, basically information or more analysis or insight than, than one week's worth of Alexi Lalas and everyone else. The, the other part of it, I, I do respect him as an individual in terms of how smart he is, but personally, I think it's um, it's an act. So when he's on Fox, uh, yes, he has those opinions, but the way he goes about being obnoxious in your face is an act. And I much prefer the Alexi Lalas from ESPN, where I feel that was closer to how he actually was, a real person, where he would just be himself. At, at Fox, it's almost like... Rob Stone presses the button, and then uh, Alexi Lalas becomes basically this this puppet, this this person who's just kind of raging and hearing like rah rah USA. And I, I know he's very patriotic. Uh, I mean, sincerely, but I think a lot of it's just over the top. He's just doing it for television, and it's not real. It does like I asked. We asked him the question when we interviewed him: Who is the real Alexi Lalas? And he said, like, well, we all kind of play a role. We all ha- we all are, you mean, act have an act, and I still disagree with that because you and I, Kartik, this is us. If we're in the bar or in a pub right now, uh, lis- uh, talking to the listeners, this is us. This is who we are. We don't put on an act. All right. Next up is Francis. Francis says Messi isn't a performing seal. He doesn't need to go on talk shows. He talks on the pitch. Uh, for, uh, similarly, uh, Sid says Messi also doesn't need to do morning shows or celebrity shows to get in touch with the English audience. He needs to play football. That's how he became uh, Lionel Messi. Um, can I can I jump in? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I completely disagree. I wish that were the case. I wish football did its talking uh, on the pitch to the to the wider American audience. But it doesn't. Otherwise, they would have grasped football by this point. They would be watching the UEFA Champions League final. They'd be talking about football more in the mainstream if the great performers, which there are some in MLS, and they have all this access, obviously, to the Premier League and to Serie A. As we've talked, we've been talking about Serie A on this podcast, uh, top top league. They can watch Serie A every weekend on CBS. They can watch uh, uh, Premier League every weekend on NBC. They 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 have seen the great performances and the great performers and it still hasn't caught on in the way it needs to in this country what David Beckham was able to do was he was able to go on those talk shows he was able to go on morning uh, shows he was able to talk to ordinary American audiences and engage some people in the game that had not uh, not only had not been engaged in the sport before but had a predisposed negative view towards our sport we need someone who can do that um I love Leo, Leo Messi, uh, but maybe Cristiano would have been the better signing if you could only sign one or, one or, one or the other because of the uh, ability to go on these shows and kind of have the personality that he has and, 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 and speak in English. Uh, that having been said, I know why Ronaldo could not come to the United States. I think we all kind of know that situation uh, as to why I, I think he will never play here. Um, but, um, yeah, I do think it's an issue. Uh, that doesn't mean I don't think there'll be no benefit from the signing. 
uh, Chris. I, I, I think there's huge benefits, as you've outlined and I've outlined on the previous show. I just think this is one piece that David Beckham really gave MLS and gave soccer in this country uh, that we're going to miss out on uh, from this. And something that, quite frankly, Ryan Reynolds and, and, and Rob McElhaney, I know some people hate hearing this, but <laughs> that Rob, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney are going to give uh, this sport uh, and have, are giving this sport in this country right now. And, and uh, Messi won't be able to connect with that specific audience. That doesn't mean he won't connect with uh, core, hardcore football fans throughout this country because um, no one, as, you, as both of you said, Francis and Sid, no one does their talking on the pitch more uh, and better than Leo Messi. So, yes, uh, mm. yeah, to football fans, it'll make a difference, but to the general public, it may not. Yeah, that, that, that's huge when you think about it, right? So on the pitch, he will do the talking. You will see him I mean, doing amazing things, scoring amazing goals, and people watching the games will be just like shell-shocked, like, oh my gosh, they haven't seen him before, right? They would be like, this is incredible. Look, look at what he just did there. Off the pitch, I would argue that Beckham's influence with Major League Soccer is probably going to be greater than Messi off the pitch. So... I'd, I'd have to go back into the into the the tapes, but with Beckham, I wouldn't be, I would not have been surprised if he did the Oprah show or Ellen DeGeneres or, or those types of shows that got to the soccer moms, right? To try to get expand the audience to uh, introduce him to other people or other you know, sets of uh, people watching games to bring him in into that to, to bring them into watching uh, games or paying attention to at least what what he does. You're not going to get that with Messi. On the pitch, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be wonderful. But yeah, I just wonder, actually, in terms of the potential growth, um, is it going to be capped? It's going to be kind of, in a way, it's going to hit hit, hit a uh, ceiling where it can't get past that. Now, the Spanish language audience side of things, I think that's quite different. And I think on the Spanish language side, he's going to be you know, an amazing hit already, and he's going to be an even bigger hit. Uh, on the English language side, that's tough. And so it makes you wonder, right? So what what is Apple TV going to do? What is MLS going to do in terms of coverage? So you have him in the games, but what are you going to do outside of that? So we know that Apple TV uh, Plus is planning on doing a documentary series. And maybe that's what they're thinking is maybe that documentary series that um, they haven't started yet, but is something that could actually tell the story better uh, in other people's words mostly probably about his story and then interview Messi and have subtitles uh, as he tells his part of the story too. Maybe that's it. But um, yeah, it would have to be almost like a welcome to Wrexham or a Ted Lasso or something like that, where it would be a series that people would watch in large numbers to really get uh, gain that audience. Hi guys. When it comes to Messi signing with Inter Miami, it is right up there with Pele signing with the New York Cosmos back in 1975. In terms of the impact it will have on the game here in the U.S., this signing, in my view, greatly legitimizes the reasoning why MLS and Apple, and to a smaller extent, Fox, decided to partner up. I do think that in the short term, logistically, Inter-Miami will likely need to move their home games to Hard Rock Stadium to accommodate the large crowds that want to see Messi. Now, if you are viewing this from ESPN's perspective, this is, to a certain extent, a nightmare, because they decided to pass on MLS and will miss out massively on the high ratings of games involving Messi on ABC or an increase in subscribers for ESPN+. Those ratings will now go to Fox and only compounds the serious issues ESPN is currently having when it comes to their budget. If I'm a La Liga or Bundesliga fan, 
I'm a little worried about what will happen to the deal my league has with ESPN because of these budget issues. And that's those are great comments. Those are great uh, input there too. Because you mean what if uh, Messi to MLS becomes a giant hit for Apple? You mean does that then make other leagues such as La Liga in their next deal, which is going to be several years from now? But does that make them think, okay, well actually maybe we chose the wrong horse. Maybe we should have gone with Apple instead of uh, ESPN. Um, yeah, there's going to be a lot, a lot of watching this very, very closely to see what happens and see how that uh, changes league's opinions in the future. Wild Stallion has a question for you, Kartik. He says, uh, do you think MLS teams getting into Copa Libertadores could be a, a possibility now with Messi coming to the league? Yes, I think, in fact, they'll probably try and find a way to get uh, one uh, or two MLS teams in if that means uh, uh, buying a spot or, or, or finding a spot from another league, which uh, had happened at one time, right? And it happened with Mexican clubs for, for a while. But there were um, – we've never been in Copa Libertadores. I should clarify that. But we have had uh, MLS clubs in, in Copa Sudamericana, and we had had uh, clubs in uh, Copa Mercator, which had been uh, – America Norte, which had been before – um, I'm thinking Mercator because of our <laughs> frequent commenter uh, on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, uh, but we've had we've had clubs compete in South American competitions. I remember very well when DC United went down and played. Uh, uh, it was either Colo Colo or, or Universidad de Chile uh, in uh, the Copa Sudamericana. Uh, I want to say that was 2005, 2006. That time period. I remember that very, very well. That that that, that tie. So um, I think it'll happen. I honestly do think Messi makes it happen. All right, just a couple more comments to go. Next up is uh, Ritik, and Ritik says, uh, Hey, Chris and Kartik, I enjoyed listening to the last episode. Both of you did a great job uh, listing the benefits and even the cons of the Messi to Miami signing, uh, which other outlets did not mention. Do you think Messi's departure from PSG and the likely departures of Neymar and Mbappe uh, will be the final nail in the coffin for being sports in the U.S.? With the three biggest stars gone, I cannot imagine the French League will want to continue broadcasting their matches on a dying network in an emerging soccer market, despite the, despite the close ties between PSG, BN Sports, and Ligue 1. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, does BN Sports become like Gold TV, right? Gold TV still runs, still operating a 24-7 soccer channel, the very first uh, soccer channel uh, ever in the United States for a 24-7 basis, still running to this day. Uh, does BN Sports become like Gold TV, where for the most part, it's largely forgotten? Uh, that's that's a really good question, uh, because I, I, I have been wrong on this, uh, as you know. Um, I have thought for a while... Um, that their their time was up. That VN, I, yeah, I, and I, I, yeah, and I, and I felt like, okay, what's going to happen is that they're going to get out of uh, the market after um, after the the World Cup in 2022, right? That I was convinced of that. Uh, if they made it to that point, and uh, because they were going to propose Qatar, but that is not the case, right? They, they they're still in this market. They're still uh, promoting properties. Uh, they're still uh, operating. So. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I would say yes, 
I, I think that uh, Liga will move on, and and uh, um, especially if uh, it feels like uh, um, the relationship ha- ha- has uh, has really made them miss their window of opportunity in the United States, which I think it has. Um, yeah, it's too, it, it's too it's late too at this late. point. But um, yeah. I don't know. I, I for some reason that network still still exists, and there must be some other. Uh, connection within France uh, within French football and uh, and of course uh, why they even have the channel in the US still there has to be multiple reasons for this that we don't know on the surface yeah I think it just like Gold TV it, it's uh, relatively cheap to run that network and uh, they already have the rights they've already bought the rights paid for the rights so they can go ahead and show those games and I think they have the French League for until 2024 so they'll continue showing the league, and even without uh, Neymar, even without uh, Mbappe after he leaves, and without Messi, um, those games will continue. So I think, but at that point, then too, again, it becomes a question for Ligue 1. Do they, with their ties to be in sports in France and and, and PSG's ties to be in sports, uh, do they say, well, we got we have to stick with being sports, or do they look for something else? But then something else. I mean, what else is out out there? I mean, like no other television channel in the United States is going to give uh, Liga and what they currently have, which is Liga and is the flagship uh, soccer league uh, on being sports in the United States. And even though it's hard to find those games, or even it's hard to find that that channel, it is what it is. It is a a network that shows all of the games, you mean, and shows all the big ones on on TV. So no one else can provide that. All right. Um, two more. Actually, two more comments. I, th- I thought it was th- uh, one more, but two more. Dave says Barcelona can no longer deny to themselves or their fans that they are broke. Messi would very likely have signed with Barcelona if they could register him and put a Champions League caliber roster around him. They cannot. Another potential loser is, uh, is the opponents of the Super League. Panic among its non-Premier League founders must be dialed up to 11 as Barcelona publicly uh, laid low um, uh, their, their, their ghost of, of Christmas future. Uh, desperate entities do desperate things. They're unlikely to bungle the rollout and associated PR so badly if there is a next time. And now the, yeah, the, the, the Super League uh, from Europe is now down to two teams. And that's uh, two teams that, that once wanted to happen. It's Barcelona and Real Madrid. And Barcelona, with their financial difficulties, I mean, really, it's it's a... It's a weak, it's a weak horse at this point. And then last, finally, uh, last but not least, uh, Jeff. Jeff wants to talk to us about uh, USL. First of all, thank you for mentioning the USL on the pack, uh, on the podcast. Go Switchbacks. Always happy to see it talked about. My question is, with the start of the League's Cup and Messi to Miami, how can the USL go forward to remain competitive, not just on the field, but with fans and viewers? I know there are talks or rumors of uh, possible promotion or relegation within USL itself. Is there space in the current market for a viable second division and uh, beyond as the MLS uh, continues to expand to new markets and with the introduction of Next Pro? Kartik, what do you think? Boy, that's uh, that's something that's on my mind all the time, as uh, as, as as we talked about, um, as I, as I think I've talked about regularly and and, and write about regularly. Um, I think um, what we're going to see is um, 
USL consolidate around um, with with the MLS reserve teams having moved to MLS Next Pro. Um, we, we're going to see USL consolidate around its core markets, even though uh, Don Garber has, uh, has uh, not so coincidentally named all those markets, just ticked off those name markets uh, when he talked about potential expansion cities for MLS. If that's not uh, trying to engage in predatory behavior, I don't know what is. But I do know um, from, from my own reporting that there are a number of investment groups, uh, potential expansion groups that are – that have been talking to USL that have also been wooed or being wooed currently by Next Pro. And uh, MLS has a goal of getting a lot of these independent clubs into Next Pro. And uh, that, therefore, they can also justify giving, because uh, it, it has happened these first two seasons, but uh, giving those reserve teams competitive matches and a more competitive atmosphere if there are independent clubs in Next Pro. At least that's the soccer side justification. Now, in terms of what they're maybe really trying to do from a business standpoint, is they are trying to destabilize USL. So um, the question is now, um, does USL have enough uh, in the tank to, um, to withstand all of this predatory behavior from MLS? Um, I don't know, but I am really encouraged by some of what we've seen lately uh, from USL. We're seeing more uh, academies uh, pop up. We're seeing more young players in the league. Uh, I do think that there has been a bit of a step back with the MLS uh, uh, pro teams uh, not necessarily being in um, in in the league. So what you ended up seeing was that uh, – um, there were fewer youngsters in the league and maybe there was a difference in kind of, especially at the beginning of the season, the difference in, in the kind of play and, and quality of play that we saw. But uh, for example, last week, Josh Winder, who uh, is a Louisville native, uh, gets sold by Louisville city to, uh, to Benfica for over a million dollars. And so this is now an opportunity. This, this is a very uh, clear a demonstration of what USL can do. So if you can, if you're a local kid in Louisville, like he was, you sign for the local club in Louisville rather than uh, going into the MLS Academy of uh, Cincinnati or Columbus, the nearby MLS teams. And uh, Louisville City, will you will probably be fast-tracked into the first team quicker and you will be moved to Europe quicker. And guess what? That club gets to keep the transfer fee, unlike in MLS where we know there's some sort of formula, but the league takes a good chunk of it, right? Um, and then I think it gets reinvested into the MLS club as GAM or TAM or whatever roster designation. So um, this is now something I think player agents are seeing and saying, you know what, if I, got a, if I have a 16 or 17-year-old kid who's not going to go play college soccer, who uh, is in uh, an academy system, even if it's in an MLS academy system, maybe I will take him to Louisville or to Birmingham Legion or, or Tampa Bay Rowdies or, or San Antonio FC, wherever, and I will at that point be able to get my uh, client to Europe quicker and in a, uh, in a way where we can get maybe a higher transfer fee very early on. And, and more exposure, the, the player will play soon. So Josh Winder moving from Louisville to Benfica, uh, if that had been moving from an MLS club to Benfica, I think it, it would have been bigger news. Yeah, absolutely. There would, there, would, 
there would have been more media coverage about it. There'd been more people in across all of social media, across websites, going crazy, just in jumping for joy. Like, look how big of a deal this is. Benfica, I mean, one of the the biggest clubs in in Portugal. Well, you mean one of the big clubs in Europe, really? However, I mean, to me, it all comes down to on the USL side in terms of they really have to go for it, and I'm just not seeing. Um, those aggressive moves that they're making, they seem to be very complacent. So, for example, making a bigger deal out of uh, Josh Winder moving to Benfica, but also in terms of communications, not just uh, focusing on sending out tweets and think, okay, that's it, that's all we have to do, but get the word word out there. I mean, this, there's actually a couple times this season so far where I found out after the fact that uh, USL some, had some games on ESPN2, I think it was, and the day after I found out about it, I'm like, how, do, how come we didn't know about yeah, that before? And, and, and actually, in my case, you know, I, I knew because the team I support, Miami FC, had a game on ESPN2. So I knew about that game, but I'm in the same category. Even though I follow USL, I covered, I'm the, I'm the guy who was on Twitter screaming, why aren't more people covering the Winder story? Why aren't they covering a, 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 an American youngster going to Benfica um, for pretty good transfer fee? Uh, I, I didn't know about some of the other games they had on broadcast television. I missed them. Yeah, yeah, and we saw today too that uh, the USL president or former USL president has left the league and he's gone to uh, uh, head up uh, Huddersfield Town in England. So it's uh, in a club in, in the championship. Um, but um, yeah, I think from USL's perspective, they really need to do more, be more aggressive, get the word out there, uh, pick up the phones. I mean, actually do some outreach rather than just relying on social media and thinking that everybody's going to know because I sent out a tweet. All right, listeners. Uh, we want to have uh, your. We want. We want you to have your say. We want to get your feedback. Um, it's really the heartbeat that that drives this show, and it's also a lot of fun too. So we also really enjoy getting your feedback and voicemails and emails and tweets and, and Facebook messages and YouTube comments too. So the ways to get in touch with us, you can leave a voicemail, 561-247-4625. You can go ahead and send us an email, which is web at worldsoccertalk.com. You can go to Twitter at worldsoccertalk and send us a tweet. You can send us a, a message on Facebook, which is facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. Uh, you can go to our website, worldsoccertalk.com, click on podcasts. And then go ahead and leave a comment in the most recent episode. And then last but not least, you can go ahead and uh, reach us on YouTube. Uh, leave a comment there. Uh, all of the episodes that we do, uh, we go ahead and produce uh, a clip on YouTube uh, for you to listen to. And sometimes when we have video to watch. Uh, so that's youtube.com slash worldsoccertalk. Kartik, uh, where can uh, listeners find you on the interwebs and, and also uh, Beyond the 90? Yeah, beyondthe90.substack.com uh, and a lot of uh, excellent writing from uh, my colleague Javi Martinez this past week about Real Madrid, uh, about Sevilla, uh, what, what, what's happening in the future with them, and why Messi was never going to sign again for Barcelona. Uh, some great stuff from Daniel Feuerstein, including uh, a comparative piece. Uh, of CBS versus Fox. I shouldn't laugh because it, it reads like one of our podcast episodes, but uh, uh, I, I agree with his conclusions, by the way. Uh, maybe some of you who are fans of Fox won't. And uh, some of the pieces from me on Champions League final, etc. So, uh, and, and, and Jonathan Starling's weekly uh, roundup of, of Florida soccer. So a lot of stuff happening at Beyond the 90. And then you can find me on Twitter at KKFLA737. 
Okay, and that's beyond90.substack.com. All right, Kartik, heading into another week of football from around the world. We've got those uh, UEFA Nations League semifinals um, Wednesday and Thursday. Wednesday is Netherlands against Croatia. Thursday is uh, Italy, Spain. And then this weekend is the final. Of course, to Thursday, we've got the CONCACAF uh, Nations League semifinals. Uh, Panama against Canada and then USA against Mexico. And then the final of the CONCACAF Nations League is also on Sunday. So lots of football, lots of international football from around the world. What are you going to do? And watch the listeners do. Enjoy your football. <laughs>